Happy holidays, everyone. We're approaching upon yes the season. I'm happy that to me and my family, Thanksgiving has no other meaning except to gorge ourselves on dessert. And that is that. <laughs> I love that. I did want to say, because it is the holiday season and it is approaching, we every year have started sending out holiday cards to mm-hmm. our Patreon donors And this year we have such incredible, we like, it was the coolest thing we've ever done. So yeah, we did it while we were on tour too. Yes. So you'll never know where we were unless you get a holiday card. (laughs) So sign up for Patreon, no matter what tier, if you're in an active tier, you will get a Patreon holiday card and you just have to be active starting. You do just have to join Patreon before the end of November. So if you're an active patron the month of November, you will receive our holiday card just a few weeks later. Yes. Speaking of the holiday season, it is the perfect time to ask your loved ones, your friends, your family, your strange neighbors, or I don't know, someone at the grocery store for their ghost stories. Because we have been on a mission, Corinne and I, since the beginning of our podcast to bring back the days where people tell ghost stories around the holidays. Gather mm-hmm. around your fire or your sandy beach if you're in a warm place and ask people for their ghost stories. In fact, you know, we're not going to be mad at you, but I feel like you should have been asking already. Mm-hmm. You should have been using every social encounter as an excuse to hear about the paranormal. But if you haven't, this is the perfect time to ask because honestly, here's a great example. I find out weird shit about my dad like weird encounters he has, ghosts he has seen, alien encounters, and he knows that we do the podcast. I've talked about this stuff since I couldn't speak, and I'm still discovering paranormal encounters that my father has had. So you never know who could be sitting on a gold mine of stories. Very true. And maybe if you're someone who's like, oh, I've always wanted to write in, but I feel like I don't really have any encounters of my own, this is your chance. You'll collect an encounter from someone else, a relative, a loved one, a neighbor, a barista. A barista. And then you have an excuse to email us. Absolutely. That's our call to action. And also a couple more updates in the year 2024, which I can't believe how close we are to it. We are going to be releasing, if you are on Patreon, if you are a member of the Only Phantoms tier, we are going to be releasing episodes one week early and ad free. Mm -hmm. And we're going to start posting one extra episode a month. So join us on Patreon. We're really getting into, I mean, here's the thing. Corinne and I have realized there is no end in sight of how many ghost stories we can cover and how many things we can research. We don't have enough time. We can hardly get enough of the fix. (laughs) So we're going to be producing more content. And if you want yeah. To stick your hands in the cookie jar. I don't know if that works as a <laughs> metaphor. Come eat our cookies. <laughs> Join our Patreon. Please eat our cookies. Also, probably a good time to say this is Two Girls, One Ghost. Oh, shit. Yeah. Two Girls, One Ghost.
And we are your ghostesses. That is Corinne, and I am Sabrina. Hi. And I was going to say this is an Encounters episode, but it, it's not. It's a regular episode. It's not. It's a regular researched yeah. episode, but I feel like there's news that you have. You have a new item. Oh, I bought a car. In your possession. Yeah. Yes. The car that you talked about and researched like every other day while we were on tour. So everyone knows I am terrified of dying in a car accident. I'm very convinced. What a lead in to say you bought a car. I think it's an important <laughs> it's an important qualifier to this story. Automotive death is one of the number one killers in America. And I don't know where it comes from, but for as long as I can remember, I am fully convinced I'm going to die in a car. Like it is a very, very real fear. When I sold my car, I was like, great, I don't ever want to drive again. Before I got my license, like when I was 11 years old, I told my mom I will never drive, that I will never own and operate a car because I was scared I was going to die. And I didn't realize that. I didn't realize you were so young. Now it's starting to freak me out a little bit, Sabrina. I know. I thought this was more like an adulthood anxiety. No, this is sort like of a fear. very real, like I either died in a car accident in a past life or it's going to happen. I do not know. Yeah. I'm going to hope, I mean, not that I hope that your soul went through this, but I'm going to hope it happened in a past life, which is maybe why you so young sure. were thinking about it. Yeah, maybe. So anyway, I have that fear. And so I truly like I waited to get my driver's permit growing up because I was so terrified of it. Like I had no desire, like where most people were like, I can't wait to get my license and be independent and drive. I was just like, I have no desire. All that being said, I was driving for almost 10 years, I was driving a small two-door Honda Civic Coupe, which is like a great car. And it was, you know, it did what I needed it to do for 10 years, but I was so small. Like I felt so small on the road, especially in LA and people in LA are crazy drivers. Yeah. So when it came to purchasing a car, I did a lot of research of what is the safest vehicle And I also was like, I kind of also want to treat myself a little bit. So I got a Bronco Sport. Hell yeah. And you get to sit higher up. Mm -hmm. You're more likely to survive if you are in an accident, which you won't be. We'll manifest it. But it's a very beautiful car. It's beautiful. And guess what the color is? Guess what it's called? Is it like witch's cottage green or something? Think of aliens. Beam me up green. (laughs) I don't know. Roswell green. It is called Area 51 because no one knows what color it actually is and no one can decide if it's blue, if it's gray, if it's green. So they call it Area 51. (laughs) (laughs) Have you looked really up close to look at the specks of paint color? Because it might be all of those. I think it does have all of them in it. I think it to me, it looks more blue gray than green. Oh, interesting. The photo you sent me, I thought it was green. Interesting. Yeah. It's the dress again. It's the it's the dress. Gold and white or black and blue. Yeah. Well, that's because so like the car that I had when I was in high school and then my brother took it over when he was in college was a Toyota RAV4 and mm-hmm. it was in the color pyrite mica. And I always thought my car was green, but other people would say it was brown. And if you looked up close at the actual paint, like specs, there were three colors. One was sand, one was green, and one was brown. And so it was like, however, the the sky, the sun hit it, I guess, whenever you're looking at it. I'm going to pull up a picture of your car because I want to look again. Well, we can do a test, have people vote for what? Now it looks blue to me. (laughs) 
It looks really, it looks like baby blue in this light. Right. We'll, we'll have people That's vote. That's weird. And decide for us. Okay. It's tripping me out. It is the dress. I also am wearing our Zach Bagans Haunted Museum t-shirt. Mm-hmm. That was a long tour. They tell you it's two hours. I feel like we were there for almost three. And there's no place to sit. Like you cannot sit the entire time. And they have you in the holding room for like 45 minutes standing, yeah. or at least we were. Yeah. I feel like I'm getting old. Like my memory of Zach Bagans Museum is I had to stand for longer than I wanted to. <laughs> we're old ladies. But it was very fascinating. I would love to do an overnight. They have like the late night flashlight tour, which I feel like would be just so fascinating, especially oh, yeah. down in the basement and in Peggy's room. Well, there's no true overnight because we asked and they said not even Zach has spent the night there. Nobody has. They've done like plenty of investigations, but never like the full night. Yeah. No, no. Not like our conjuring house where they're like, see you at 8 a.m. And we're like, we'll see if we last until then. Peak. Okay. Everyone. Also, my nails match your hat. There we go. A little cranberry moment. Beautiful. I was uh, I got coffee with a friend yesterday and we were walking and she and I had the exact same nails and she said that at our Friendsgiving, which I missed this year, everyone showed up and everyone had the exact same nail color. <laughs> it's just the uh, the color of the season. You're all picking up on the same vibe. I have not done my nails yet. I am waiting until I leave for my honeymoon, which you're about to do right after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Brian and I are going to Aruba. For 10 days. Aruba, Jamaica. Oh, Ooh, you make I me. Wanna take oh, see, I don't know the words. <laughs> <laughs> I got a really great compliment at Ash and Drew's wedding. And the compliment was that I know every lyric to every song. And you do. Yeah. The person who told me after he said that, he came up again and he's like, I think you're 17 and an O now. Because he was watching me sing them. And I really do. You were being watched. But I was like, here's the thing. There's nothing else in there so so it's only lyrics you're impressed now but ask me anything else and the conversation will cease to exist i disagree you have plenty inside that noggin of yours the beanie makes my head look larger and full of knowledge but now we're going to aruba i've been to aruba twice before and we're staying at a resort i haven't been to yet so i'm excited to see like a kind of a little different version of aruba brian's never been to me, so fun. It's going to be so fun. We were between Aruba and then Brian had pitched a bunch of different ones based on some parameters I gave. <laughs> you? <laughs> parameters? Are you thinking? <laughs> Rules? No way. Very strict division that must come true or not at all. We were deciding between St. Lucia, Aruba. Well, Aruba actually wasn't even on in the cards at the moment that we were talking about this, but it was St. Lucia. And then Brian had showed me some other really cool resorts that we could probably only afford to stay there for like four or five days, but they were kind of on these like private islands. Oh, It'd be us and like 12 other cabanas. And I was like, absolutely not. This sounds like a horror movie. Brian was thinking it sounded great and romantic. And I was like, no, we're not going there. That is the scariest thing ever. God forbid something happens. Like how do we escape? How do we live? I'm not going to freaking swim through shark infested Bahamian waters. No. So then his sister was like, oh, we're going to Aruba for our honeymoon. And we're like, that sounds great. We're going to copy you. (laughs) So that's how we ended up deciding on Aruba. And I'm stoked because the water is always 83 degrees. The aloe man will slap some aloe on my shoulders if I'm burning. And I'm going to take down some mudslides. That's the plan. I love it. 
And I cannot wait to follow along in your journey in Aruba and maybe crash it because I'm going to be jealous. And (laughs) it's the longest I've been without you. (laughs) I I know, especially after us being together for two straight months. Yeah. I'm going to be no phone. I'm going to be like totally. Yeah, but I can track your location, Corinne. Yeah, but if I'm not, if I don't have my phone with me, how are you going to know where I am? (laughs) Right. I'm just going to show up and watch you. (laughs) Well, people will see pictures after the fact, but I'm excited after basically having to live on electronics for a while. I'm excited to just be. Unplug. Yeah. Exist. Well, until you unplug, I'm going to tell you some creepy stories. Lovely. This episode, so you can tell from the title of this episode, we are covering Edgar Allan Poe. I -hmm. have wanted to cover Edgar Allan Poe for so long. He is an icon. He's so fascinating. He's an icon. He's a legend. He is. And (laughs) he's extremely spooky. So this is a two-parter. When you think of spooky stories, you think of Edgar Allan Poe. At least me. Like, that's one of the first things I think of. Yes. You know, he's an OG horror thriller writer. Also, in honor of the holidays coming up and in honor of Corinne and I trying to stimulate this resurgence of ghost stories around the holidays, we decided to cover the man who was a massive part of telling horror stories and spooky stories around the Mm -hmm. holidays. I'm going to begin this episode with a quote from Edgar Allan Poe himself, and I believe it sums up the two episodes quite well. The boundaries which divide life from death are at best shadowy and vague. Who should say where one ends and where the other begins? I mean, yes, I agree. This is part one, Edgar Allan Poe, a man haunted. I feel like this episode is about to make me spiral into a what even is life sort of thing after that quote, especially because I'm like, (laughs) what is the difference between the living and the dead? (laughs) How close are we? Are we the same? Is this a simulation? Uh, Sometimes I miss when I was like 13 and just thought ghosts were ghosts. Sometimes I miss when I was just four and I didn't think about anything (laughs) beyond what toy (laughs) I was going to play with. But I will say, okay. Wait, can I completely interrupt you for a second? But Uh this just reminds me of, I saw a really funny interview on the streets style TikTok where someone was going around interviewing people and asking if they were a Barbie kid or a Bratz kid. And he goes up to these three women and he goes, were you Barbie or Bratz? And without missing a beat, the woman goes, barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) I was a barbecue kid. (laughs) And I feel like that's the only right answer now. What were you? I was Barbie and then I graduated into Bratz. Okay. I never had a Bratz doll, I don't think. I I think I was Mm. Barbie and then Polly Pocket. That was the track. People either went Polly Pockets or they went Bratz. Mm. Barbies were the gateway though. Everyone Barbied, but not everyone Polly Pocketed or Bratz. Did you chew on your Polly Pockets? Because I feel like that was also something every Polly Pocket owner did. I don't think I was a Polly Pocket chewer. No. Oh, okay. So all of your little rubber coats survived? They did. Yeah. (laughs) Great. I bet you were the kid who ate weird things. Me? Yeah. No. 
Oh. No, no, no. Okay. That's an interesting assessment. I feel like I love control so much. I would peg me as probably the one that would tell on the kids who ate weird things. Well, definitely that too. (laughs) But just the way that you asked if I chewed on my rubber clothes makes me think that you did. No, it was the reputation of – like I would go over to friends' houses. They would have Polly Pockets without a doubt. Mm. Half the collection was chewed. That's so interesting. It was the reputation of the Polly Pocket kids. Mm, those weird Polly Pocket kids who ate their <laughs> dolls' to- clothes. They would chew their dolls. <laughs> well, this is not about Polly Pockets. This is about no. Edgar Allan Poe. And I actually do want to give a disclaimer. This episode is kind of less spooky, less paranormal, and more tragic in the sense that this man lived a very, very sad life, which is why mm. Edgar Allan Poe, a man, haunted, not necessarily by spirits or ghosts, but haunted by life. Also, I feel like that's right there, the name of our episode, Edgar Allan Poe, A Man Haunted. Oh, it is. And then I have part two's title is Edgar Allan Poe, A Man Haunts. Perfect. From haunted to haunter. Yes. Haunty to haunter. That's going to be on my gravestone. (laughs) Haunty to haunter. I feel like we haunt people already, which is great. We haunted people from the living, which is, I feel like, a special skill. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm sure that there's some people that would agree that we haunt them, but in different ways than what we're thinking. Just memories of our behaviors. (laughs) (laughs) So We basically haunt ourselves. Don't we all haunt ourselves? Like, we are our own worst enemies and our regrets our doubts our fears haunt us so like we are already haunting ourselves you're right so maybe we don't haunt anyone but i just assume that because anxiety we haunt ourselves we're doing fine at that (laughs) deep questions here at two girls one ghost okay so edgar Allan poe is recognized as the father of the detective story the master of the macabre and a gothic horror genius His legacy is worldwide and probably pretty ethereal. He is horror, but his life, too, was horror. And it was riddled with mystery. And there's a quote that was written in the memoir about Edgar Allan Poe, and it was written that he was, actually, this was in his obituary, in quotes, Poe was a lunatic who walked the streets in madness or melancholy with lips moving in indistinct curses or with eyes upturned in a passionate prayers, never for himself, for he felt or professed to feel that he already was damned. Wow, that's heavy. Curses, a man, evil, a heavy existence. So the question really is, who was Edgar Allan Poe? Because up front, I'm going to state this, that the truth of Edgar Allan Poe's life is pretty mysterious. It kind of like when we had the crossover with Celebrity Memoir Book Club, we talked a lot about Marilyn Monroe and how, you know, everyone kind of imprinted their own perspective of her. And I think that does go with a lot of people in celebrity. And Mm. Poe, while he was successful during his life, kind of, he didn't really grow to infamy and success in the way that we know him now until after he died. So a lot of people now have like kind of portrayed their own impression of him into history. And yes, his literary works do live on, but the truth of his life may have died with him. The reason, on top of all the other reasons I said this, is because the man entrusted with writing the Edgar Allan Poe memoir, his name was Rufus Wimmett Griswold, 
absolutely hated and despised Edgar Allan Poe. How did they discover that? How was he allowed to write the memoir? I don't know how he was the one like given that, but they were enemies, literary enemies, rivals. And this was known. Okay, in life. So it's not like he learned about Poe's life writing this and then decided to hate him. He prematurely, not prematurely, but pre-death had a rivalry. And yet he was the... Imagine your like middle school rival being in charge of writing your life story. I mean, it kind of was that Griswold and Poe were were rivals for years and years and years. And there's a lot, and I'll, I'll get into some more of the the petty rivalry between the two men. But somehow Griswold became Poe's literary executor. And when Poe died, he kind of died at the height of his career, which it took him a really, really long time to find success. And when the memoir was released, it was so vastly released that people really, really took to it as fact because I think everyone was like excited to read this narrative of an evil man, you know, given his mm. writings, given his work, worked with the narrative of Edgar Allan Poe being an evil man, which, you know what, perhaps this is Edgar Allan Poe's greatest piece of work, is that he wanted to be a mystery, like all of his mysteries he created. And having a man who hated him and despised him write his memoir leaves this lasting confusion about Poe. True. Who is he? I know. I was wondering if it was the same sort of thing, if this was like a long con. Like if they, what if they were lovers? What if they never were rivals, but that was their outward appearance? What if everything written about Poe is true, but it was pitched to us in a way that we wouldn't ever believe it? And so we always were questioning it. It's definitely not true, but who knows? (laughs) How do you know? Well, because, okay, so basically this guy used a lot of like false, he forged a lot of things to try to write Mm. a narrative about Poe. But so that's to say that what I'm going to share with you today is what I've gathered based on, you know, a bunch of different research. But again, I think it's impossible to truly know the truth of Edgar Allan Poe. There are some things that are absolutely fact, but then there are some things that are kind of, we don't know. We don't know the truth. I am drawn to the tales of Edgar Allan Poe. I think the first time I read his stories, I was in middle school. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think, when we're all, because it's part of every English class, I think, in middle school, like fifth or sixth grade, you have to read a short story from Poe. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the curriculars. It was. And I've always been fascinated by him the same way I'm very fascinated by Mary Shelley. I have a sickness in my brain, one that drives me to horror and to thrillers and writing stories like that. And it's one that also draws me towards ravens and crows and... So Poe is one of my literary idols. What I also love about all of this is that Edgar Allan Poe loved, 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 loved mysteries and believed that he could solve them. He was so fascinated by murder and hidden messaging. He believed that human logic could be used to solve them. And this is a quote from him. We say again, deliberately, that human ingenuity cannot concoct a cipher which human ingenuity cannot resolve. Basically meaning that anything humans do and create must be able to be solved by humans because it was created by human, if that makes sense. Mm, Okay, yeah. And he became so fascinated with solving coded messages and cryptograms and ciphers and applied this reasoning to all types of stories and 
human experience. I feel like he is the kid in the beginning of so many preteen movies. Like I'm thinking of basically about like journey to the center of the earth. I feel like I referenced that just a few episodes ago, but that's what it feels like. You know, like there's a kid who is into all of the patterns and the mysteries and unlocking things and trying to to figure out if like this is all that life is or if there is more and what leads to that. And then they find a giant treasure map and then they go on a big adventure. It feels like Poe was on that yeah. on that track, but he didn't get to to live the second half of the movie. Yeah, it's fascinating because he was so intelligent. Like he really was a genius and was studying things so far beyond many of his peers that he almost was like too smart for his own good. Mm. Anyway, I feel like the fact that I said this before, but the fact that Poe was the father of the detective story and the mystery, that I love the poetic symmetry of the fact that his life even is this great mystery and that he was the type of person who was like, well, if you have all the clues, there's nothing you cannot solve. And so we technically have all these clues to Edgar Allan Poe's life, meaning we have the ability to solve and understand his life but perhaps none of us are ever going to be keen enough or smart enough to actually do it unless we mm -hmm. build a time machine, which sadly has yet to occur. What I do know is that his memoir written by Griswold was used to grossly misconstrue the truth and destroy the reputation of Edgar Allan Poe. Griswold basically saw it as the chance to defile the name of his nemesis and no one could do or say anything about it. And people believed this. The memoir was sold so widely that people were reading it and believing it and then continuing the narrative and perpetuating it. So I'm not even going to name the name of that memoir. If you choose to read it, just know that a lot of the stuff in that, even the letters and quotes, have been proven as forgeries. And instead wow. of reading that text, I read a book by Troy Taylor called Nevermore, The Haunted Life and Mysterious Death of Edgar Allan Poe. Can I ask a quick question? I'm not Absolutely. sure if you'll know the answer to this, but was the forgery and the lying found out when that man was still alive who wrote I don't know this? I don't know. Like, did he ever, was he reprimanded in any way for completely lying about this huge historical literary figure? Okay, well, this is going to be a very mean statement. Have you ever heard of his name before I said it? No. And in fact, I can't remember his name right now, which is why I'm just saying that man. <laughs> So I think that is an answer. He did suffer because what he wanted. He yeah. Get. Basically, Poe has won. They were nemesis, nem nemesis, nemesis, I don't know. With that being said, and with the preface of this is a bit of a mystery, this is part one, Edgar Allan Poe, A Man Haunted. In the following episode and in part two, I will dive into the life, the mystery, and then The Hauntings of Edgar Allan Poe, we will discuss his background, his endeavor into literature, his battle with many different demons, his betrayals, and ultimately his mysterious departure from this earthly realm and his spirit that lives on evermore. Evermore. So as some background, I say a man haunted because Poe's life was, as many people could probably guess based on his writings and his interest in the darker tales was filled with lots of trauma, tragedy, 
and heartache. One quote from a man named Dr. Elliot Engel said, Poe had the most bizarre, grotesque, and pathetic life of anyone we've ever studied. I don't like the word pathetic being used to describe anything. I think it's more of just like, not pathetic in a shameful way, but pathetic in a heartaching. I think when that word was used, it had a little bit of a different context for me. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, that's really mean. <laughs> that is bullying. But also at the same time, Poe, who had such a gift, did battle a lot with some demons that led him to living somewhat of a troubled and I wouldn't use the word pathetic, but you could understand why the word pathetic is used if you, once we yeah. conclude part one, you will have more context. Okay. Edgar Allan Poe was the second child of David and Eliza Poe, and he was the son of two primarily stage actors. Eliza was this incredibly talented, beautiful, entrancing, and interesting actress. So much so that when David Poe, Edgar's father, first saw her perform, he abandoned all plans for his life and joined her theater troupe because he was so in love with her and wanted to marry her. So he was on his way to become a lawyer and just abandoned all of that and joined an acting troupe. That is, I don't know how I feel about that because initially I'm like, wow, what romance? Like that is crazy love. But at the same time, I'm like, is that a stable person? No. Like, is this like love bombing? Is this stalking? Obsession? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, it ended up working out. David joins the acting troupe. Apparently, this is, again, this is very sad and I feel bad repeating it. But when I heard this, I was like, this is, I think, a very important thing to note about Poe's father. David and Eliza performed together in a lot of different things. And there is a quote from one performance from a critic. And it said the following. The lady was young and pretty, evinced talent both as a singer and an actress. The gentleman was literally nothing. Oh the theme of this episode feels like couples, like two people paired together and one of them is great and the other one is just being shit on by the universe. It does have that through line throughout this episode. I think it's pretty relevant to Poe's story that his father, who wanted to find success, ended up being regarded as literally nothing. Literally nothing. Like that is worse than being regarded. Like to be thrown in your face that you have no regard or purpose in life whatsoever. Right. It's not like, wow, that performance really sucked. This person should not be in this role. It's just like this person was so unremarkable that I can't even Beyond this sentence being written, they'll never be thought of again. Right. Anyway, David and Eliza get married and they have one son, William Henry Leonard Poe, who was born January 30th of 1807, who ends up being Edgar's older brother. And Edgar Allan Poe is born in Boston, Massachusetts on January Hello. 19th, 1809. Very, very sadly, tragedy struck Poe almost immediately because at just one year old, his father left the family up and left. I think he fell in love with someone else. I don't really know. He left. Mm -hmm. He abandoned his family. I think at that point now there were three kids. So it was an older son, Edgar, and then a daughter. And if that were not tragic enough for a young child, Poe's mother, Eliza, fell ill of tuberculosis and died one year later. So at just two years old, Edgar Poe was an orphan. Wow. 
I didn't realize he was orphaned so young. So young. Also, just so everyone knows, he was born Edgar Poe, just Edgar Poe. So yeah, at two years old, he was an orphan. And I ended up reading this story that I thought was so fascinating because before her death, Eliza was playing the role of Juliet in Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet and would bring her children to the theater to come see her performances. She performed eight performances a week. And night after night, Edgar, his brother and sister, sat front row watching his mother perform. If you know Romeo and Juliet, it ends with a tragic death. So night after night, eight times a week, little tiny Edgar watched his mother stab herself and die on stage, be dragged off stage as a dead body, and then be very confused when moments later he would, after the performance, see his mother alive. I mean, no wonder he was the way he was, right? Like, that was the beginning of his writing mind. Right. Of being obsessed with darkness and death and murder. Yes. Mystery. So I literally wrote, I can't imagine that's beneficial for the development of a child, but I imagine it was very beneficial to the development of a horror author and literary writer. So already at two years old, you can tell tragedy and trauma is informing the upbringing of Poe's adolescence. He was effectively on his own at two years old. He was sent to foster homes until he was taken in by a John and Francis Allen who took Poe into their home in Richmond, Virginia. Allen was a tobacco merchant and very well off. And so John and Francis Allen never officially adopted Poe, but they very much took him in as if he was their own and gave him the name Edgar Allen Poe. So basically took on the additional last name. Right. They were raising him. Yes. They're basically his parents now. Yeah, two years old. But it was spelled A-L-L-A-N, and over time it's become an E. Hmm. Did it switch when Edgar was alive and that was a choice of his own to like make sure that people weren't misspelling his name? Like was that hmm. was that something that bothered him or he just wanted it to be more of a universal spelling? Or is it something that oh. happened after because it's like people don't didn't know and he wasn't there to correct them? Interesting. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if he changed it because he was like super into ciphers and stuff. And I wonder if he like wanted his name to be a cipher for things. But I also wouldn't be surprised if it changed later. I also wouldn't be surprised if he like chose to change it because as I'm about to tell you, he was a very petty man and he was really good at betraying people and cutting ties with people. Mm. He did that with his foster parents. But before that, before I get to that point, John and Francis Allen saw so much promise in Poe. I mean, he was, from an early age, you could tell. He was a genius. He was brilliant. He was gifted with intellect. And so they really sought to nurture him and help him become a successful man. But it proved a little bit difficult and not because John and Francis were like difficult foster parents, but because Poe was a pretty reckless and defiant young man. There are a lot of details about his relationship and his life, Poe's life, but I'm just kind of going to share the more pertinent and defining moments to shape the image of Poe. So basically, Alan wanted to encourage Poe to carve his own path. He provided him with so many opportunities, financial, educational, all of these things, but was very strong in discipline, basically like trying to make Poe understand the meaning and purpose of life and work for things on his own. 
sadly, another traumatic thing that happened to Poe. When he was young, living in Richmond, he befriended a boy named Richard. And Richard's mother was so reminiscent of Edgar's own mother that Edgar became obsessed with her. And he loved her almost like his own mother. That's sad. It's even more sad because this woman had a brain tumor and very shortly thereafter died. Oh, I feel bad for Edgar Allan Poe. Me too. Um, Yeah, his life is really, really, really sad. It feels like everyone he loves leaves or dies. So it almost makes me wonder if like when he betrays people and pushes them away, is that a way to in his mind to keep them alive. Absolutely. Or if he's not close to anyone, then he can't be hurt when anyone dies. Right. And actually, this is interesting. So a lot of his stories have to do with, and if you're watching Fall of House of Usher on Netflix, it's a Mike Flanagan show, but it's based on one of Edgar Allan Poe's short stories. I say short stories, but I'm pretty sure it's like a 300-page story. Which, yeah, you told me that because I had finished the show before you. And you're like, what did you think? And I was like, honestly, it feels like a book to me. It should have been a book. And you're like, well, it was a book. It was Edgar Allan Poe's book. And as I did this research, Corinne, I realized every episode is actually based on a different Edgar Allan Poe story. Like the Black Cat really is a different short story of Poe's. You know how episode two, what's his name? The boy who has like the orgy. Yeah. That is based uh-huh. off of a book called like The Red Mask. I can't remember the specific, but Anyway, all of the every episode is almost a different short story. That is so interesting. I'm sure there's some article where I can read like a very quick synopsis of like how it related, what the stories were. Yeah, I'll actually send an article to you. It says like 12 of Edgar Allan Poe's most horrifying stories and like the true story it's based on. And it gives like brief synopsis of all 12 of the stories. And you'll recognize not only the things that happen in the episodes of Fall of House of Usher, but you'll also recognize the character names are taken directly from Poe's stories. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mike Flanagan. I know. Snaps. <laughs> Good job, man. But okay, back to sad things. When this woman, this mother-like influence in his life passed away, apparently Poe was so devastated that he screamed in agony and reportedly would go and visit her grave every night. <sighs> Heartbreaking. It's so sad. I'm just picturing his little self like he was a little boy i know oh man in growing up poe was given opportunity to travel the world he studied in scotland london and ultimately attended the university of virginia which was founded by thomas jefferson but let's just say poe didn't have the best reputation before going to university he was pretty reckless he was brilliant like i said he was a genius but he was almost like i'm too smart i don't need to study and he was a little bit like pompous about it he had a lot of ego Mm mm-hmm And so, like, he never studied. He didn't really apply his intellect and was, like, expecting because he was so smart and he believed so talented that success would just come to him. He fell in love with this woman named Sarah Elmire Royster Royster, and proposed to her prior to leaving to university. But her father was like, absolutely not. You are not marrying Edgar Allan Poe. Like, that's the type of reputation. People did not want their daughters to marry this man. He was so against it that he ended up having his daughter marry another man, which, again, is another blow to Poe and his heart. And he's like, these people he loved, especially women, are continuously being taken away from him. Mm -hmm. So he goes to university, heartbroken. It's also, I think, the first time his foster father was like, all right, you need to 
step it up, Poe. I'm going to send you to this university. I'm going to help you pay for the tuition, but you are responsible for paying for everything else. He was trying to teach him a lesson. I understand that. But unfortunately, Poe, let's see, he blew all his money gambling right away in university. (sighs) And then he would beg his foster father for more money. And his foster father was like, I'm not bailing you out. And then he would continue to gamble and he racked up quite the debt. He was just trying to feel something just reckless. What's the point of living if everyone around you dies? Just do whatever. Blow through the cash. Yeah. And then he was so in debt that he decided to take on drinking because feeling something wasn't working. Why not feel nothing? Yep. I've had moments like that, unfortunately. I know. It's sad. Yeah. So Poe was not great with money, but he was great at drinking. Actually, no, he wasn't great at drinking because there's some theories that he was actually allergic to alcohol because even like one sip would cause like such insane side effects. So he was drunk very, very quickly. Wow. And he at this time basically tried to publish some of his works, but it wasn't very fruitful. He was so in debt and so lost in the sauce that he, this is up for debate, he either dropped out or got kicked out of university before completing his first year. So then he basically asked his foster father to help bail him out again. His foster father was like, no, you got yourself into this mess. I've tried to help you. There's nothing I can do now. And Yeah, you can only ask someone for money so many times before they're like, I don't trust that this money will ever get you anywhere. Yes. Like, forget about paying me back. But like, this isn't even going to, you're not going to do with it what you say you're going to. So what am I funding here? Exactly. And Poe, in his, as you will recognize, is a pattern starting here. He basically is like, F you, foster father, how dare you betray me and not help me? And so they basically become nemesis, nemesis again. And it's a pattern in life. He drove his foster father away and made an enemy of him. His ego getting in the way. He basically refuses to return to Richmond because it reminded him of the Allens. And so here Poe is. He's 18 years old. He's a genius with gambling debts and a terrible drinking problem. And he needed money. So what did he do? He joined the army. The only problem is he was too young. He was only 18 years old. You were supposed to be like 22, I think. So he gave a fake name. Really? How did? When did that freaking change? World War II? I don't know. World War I? He gave a fake name, Edgar A. Perry, and claimed he was 22 years old. And he joins the army. He's working there, I think, for like, honestly, like, since he's getting very, very little payment. He tries to self-publish his first collection of poems called Tamerlane and Other Poems. But he only printed 50 books, 50 copies, and had no way to, like, advertise it. So basically didn't sell any of them. It got no attention. And similar to his father, if you remember... His father wanted to be regarded, and now one of his biggest fears is to not be regarded whatsoever, which is basically what happened to Poe when he published his first collection of poems. Yeah. But uh, I understand that it's so exciting and the lead up and the opportunity and the possibilities of it being something feels so huge and so it's such a big letdown. But I also feel like so many people, if you look at their careers, their first is basically just getting it out of the way. Yeah. It's almost never what brings them notoriety. 
So I understand his heartache, but at the same time, I'm like, don't give up, Poe. And he didn't. <laughs> keep going. He didn't give up. Good. He did keep going. Yes, I, we know that. Yeah. yeah, clearly. But you know what? His story reminds me so much of like Picasso and artists of that era who suffered and struggled so much in their lives and didn't feel any fame or success in their lifetimes. It was not mm-hmm. until after they died that yeah. their estates and their names became notorious. I might be butchering this, but didn't Picasso like not even sell a single painting until yeah. after death? I'm pretty sure that's true. Yeah, something like that. Like never yeah. saw any bit of success right. until after he was gone. Yep. And so a lot of people in Poe's life told him similar sentiments of him being so talented. And so he had this chip on his shoulder a little bit. I think one, he he didn't want to get close to anyone, so he would ruin relationships left and right. But then also he had a chip on his shoulder where he was like, I am talented and I am great and I feel like the world owes me something. And he was so confident of his talents, but it didn't really happen in his life until he basically was fertilizer for the soil. <laughs> Again, this is going to be brief, but I think it's important to reveal who he is. So Poe joins the military. And almost immediately is like, I actually hate this. And he wants out, but he can't get out. And so he basically tells his whoever's above him, I lied. I'm actually not John, whatever I said, or Edgar, whatever I said. I'm actually 18 years old. And so then whoever is his commanding officer actually takes this opportunity. I actually really love this. This guy is like, listen, legally, like, in order for you, because you are underage, you were supposed to get permission from a parent to be in the military. So now to leave the military, you need permission from a parent or a guardian. John Allen, who Edgar and John Allen are on the outs right now. So this guy is like, you need to reconcile. Oh, interesting. Did Poe do it? Also, sorry, before you answer that question, I'm just now realizing I was thinking of Van Gogh, not Picasso, before any art people are. But I do think it's similar. I think a lot of them are like that. Yeah. But so did he reconcile or Um, how does that work? (laughs) What do you think he did? I mean, I would guarantee that he didn't do anything and probably just forged it all. So he basically did a half-assed job of it. It's kind. You know what it reminds me of is like if you ever got in trouble in college and like judicial was like, you need to write a letter home. Mm -hmm. You're like, I didn't really do anything wrong. And it's like, sorry, I drank, whatever. Poe kind of does a half-assed job. He sends a letter back to John Allen, and I think he basically... What I read, again, I don't know what the truth is, but I kind of think this would be... I believe this. Poe, when he didn't like someone, was like really... Like he... The second you betrayed him or turned your back on him or did something to slight him, he laid into you, like was so mean and would find the meanest things to say to you and knew what would hurt the most and say them to your face or write them to you. And he was a very, very talented writer. So he knew how to use words. Descriptive. Yes. Hurt people, hurt people, you know. Yes. So basically, I don't think he and John Allen really rekindled things, but very shortly thereafter, Edgar finds out that Frances Allen, the woman who raised him, basically died. He was not given any warning. She 
was sick and he wasn't even aware. And so he was not able to say goodbye to her or see her before she passed away. So Poe returns back to Richmond, Virginia, a day after Francis Allen, who for all intents and purposes was really his mother, was buried. Yeah. Also, up until you just said this, this whole time I thought Francis, for some reason, I thought it was like a male name. And so I thought Poe was growing up with two dads. Oh. Until you just said this. This is the 1800s, Corinne. I don't think... Um, I, but I, I'm so in the current century that it didn't even cross my mind that yeah. it was not, it wasn't that. Yeah. Okay. So another mother figure passes away. Exactly. The third one. Yes. And obviously Poe is devastated. He returns to Richmond, Virginia, and he is just heartbroken and in such a deep depression that I think he and John Allen do try to rekindle their relationship a little bit. Once again, it does not work. Poe goes to West Point, which his foster father, John Allen, kind of helped orchestrate. But again, Poe hates it, hates it so much. And instead of trying to, you know, work with his foster father or something, he ends up finding some guy who needs money and promising to pay him so that they could swap places, basically. He's like, hey, come take my spot so I can get out of West Point. Interesting. It wasn't like a come be me. Don't. It wasn't a... Take my okay. place. I'm like, what was his plan no, yeah, no. to swap into that person's? It was more just like, come, I'll pay you to reprieve me of this position. Exactly. And then it's a false promise. Poe doesn't have the money to do it. Anyway, so he's making another enemy here. And finally, at this point, John Allen is just like, I've tried everything. You and I are done, Edgar. We are done. And sadly, they never rekindled. Not too long after John Allen passed away, and his final FU to Edgar was to leave him absolutely nothing in his will. And this man, John Allen, was extremely wealthy. He left Edgar nothing. Wow. You know what? I feel like Edgar, not to say that you deserve something bad when you've had a horrible, terribly difficult life, but also this person was in your life trying to raise you since you were two years old. And it yeah. sounds like, I mean, again, we're not getting much more perspective from Poe. Like we have no idea if being raised by those people was like hell on earth right. in a variety of other ways that we're just not aware of. Yeah. We're only getting the, we were great parents and he just rejected us and everyone else. Yeah, We don't know what the truth is, but I do understand a little bit from the Allen's perspective being like, yeah, he tried. Yeah, we did what we could. We Our investment was the past 20 years. Yeah. So at this point, Poe has left a trail of enemies in his wake, and it is something he continued to do. He is extremely poor. He is continuing to focus his efforts in poetry and writing, but they're never really producing any income. He moved to Baltimore, Maryland, where he lived with his aunt, his brother, and his cousin, Virginia. He continues to drink. He continues to lose jobs. He published a few stories, but nothing really took off. He became a critic, so he would, like a literary critic, so he would read other people's works and review them. And he made a few more enemies this way because he had a strong opinion and he was not afraid to voice it. And I will say he does remind me of someone who, even if everyone's thinking it about someone, maybe it's not best to say it, but he would always be the one who said it. Mm. He doesn't have much to lose and he clearly doesn't. I mean, I'm assuming 
a lot about his personality right now, but it feels like he never goes into a potential like meeting of someone or relationship, assuming that that will be a lasting friendship or like mutual love and respect. He just already assumes everyone is going to hurt him in some way. And so you may as well throw the first punch. I had this girl in college once tell me that whenever she meets someone, they have to prove themselves to her before she gives them the time of day, which was such a backwards thing to me because like to me. No, you get the respect that you give others back and that's what you should be expecting. You cannot expect everyone to just go out of their way to make your life amazing and to convince you that they're deserving of you. Like that, that's narcissistic. Yeah. Again, I think Poe had a little bit of that and it probably was a trauma response, a way to protect himself from the hurt that he was continuing to experience. Anyway, Poe moves to Baltimore, Maryland, and he asks to marry his 10-year-old cousin, Virginia. She's 10. No. He's like 20. I think he might even be 23. What the fuck is wrong with Poe? And he was told he had to wait. And I think, I don't I don't remember all the details, but I'm pretty sure he like found some loopholes. Anyway, he marries his- what the First cousin. Yeah, well, I know. No, 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 no. Poor child. Keep in mind, this is also the 1800s. Like this, there's a lot more weird crossing of what we think is appropriate these days. I feel like everyone always knew deep down that that was inappropriate. Oh, absolutely. So they get married <laughs> when she's 13. In 1835, Poe was 26. It was said, and I think it's easy to say now. But that Poe and Virginia loved each other deeply and were one another's true loves. And there are a bunch of love letters written between the two of them that you can read. Is this like a Priscilla and Elvis Presley sort of thing, though? It's Yeah, it's not cool. A child lured in by an older, more successful person. But it's true love. And he's not successful, though. But he still has power over her. Absolutely. In every way. Sure. Yes. So Poe and Virginia get married in 1835. And... Then his elder brother dies. Again, another person in his family dying. He's heartbroken. He's still dealing with his alcoholism problem. And he's still trying to make it in the literary world. And he does start to have some success. He is working for Burton's Gentleman's Magazine, writing reviews, essays, poems, and being able to publish them in this magazine. He has always had a dream of starting his own magazine. and. He was like on really good terms with this guy who owned the magazine, but then he heard that the editor was trying to sell the company. So Poe, instead of like talking to this guy, immediately thinks, oh, this guy's going to screw me over. So I'm going to screw him over first. And he like tries to quit because he's like, if I'm not here, the company won't sell as much. And he tries to start his own company. Anyway, it ends up backfiring on him. He gets caught and he gets fired. And he makes another enemy. Great. What number is he at at this point? <laughs> it's hard to keep track. Racking them up. A year later, he finds a job as a writer and co-editor at Graham's Magazine, where Poe is really, really recognized to this day as a crucial part of the magazine's success. It was while he was there that Charles Dickens was coming into town in Philadelphia. And Charles Dickens is, you know, we all know him. He was at the time one of the most successful talented authors of that era. And so Poe was like, I really want to meet Charles Dickens. He uses his job at the magazine 
to set up an interview with him. And in order to set up this interview, I love it. It's like he he's so strategic. He sends Charles Dickens like a bunch of letters. And with them, he includes all of the glowing reviews he's ever written about Charles Dickens. And I think he once called him the greatest British novelist. And so he's flattering Dickens' ego. Mm -hmm. And then he solves the mystery of one of Charles Dickens' novels. So he's proving his smarts. And then he sends Charles Dickens one of his own pieces of work. So Dickens is intrigued by this man. Poe and Dickens meet. And I think they had like two interviews, all of course, so that Poe can write a piece on him for Graham's magazine. But while there, Charles Dickens becomes so taken by Poe and impressed by his talent that he promises to help find a publisher for Poe in England. I do believe Charles Dickens was the person who published The Raven, which is one of Poe's most infamous poems. Mm -hmm. And actually, I found, okay, this is a fun fact, a little tidbit. When he met with Dickens, Dickens apparently was so heartbroken and he and his family was mourning were mourning the loss of their pet raven. And Dickens, like, because of this story, Poe went home and altered the poem to be the raven. What was it originally about? I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. Wow. I mean, okay. So he was totally pandering. He knew exactly what could get him in the door, and he was seizing the opportunity. Nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Changing up the lyrics a little bit. Yeah, exactly. To get you published. It's still fantastic. Okay, so we can basically thank Charles Dickens for the raven. This is one of those examples that it's like sometimes my mind cannot wrap around the fact that there are certain people who are like household names who like we we learn of in school and that those people knew each other, that they were friends or like lived in the same time period. That just – I mean, I know that they're like of the same era, but the fact that they were like in the same room chatting with each other, that's so weird to me. I know. To be a fly on the wall for that conversation. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like one friend group becoming popular. (laughs) There's a lot of crossover here. Yeah. So Poe is finding a lot of success with Graham's magazine. But when things start to get good, what does Poe do? Sabotage. Yep. And burn bridges. And that's what he did. So while he was at Graham's magazine is when his rivalry with Rufus Griswold, the guy who wrote the memoir and kind of left this negative review and lasting image of Poe. This is where it began, because while working at Graham's Magazine, apparently Poe accused one of Griswold's best friends of plagiarism, which I think actually might have been true, but it was a massive accusation to... Yeah, it is. Especially when you're newer in your own career, too. Not to say that you you shouldn't abandon your own values and ethics just because you're newer at something, but it's also a huge risk to speak out. Yeah. Unless you have concrete proof. And maybe he did. And I think there was a lot of stuff where, I mean, it, it's the same with today's world with creatives and art and or any business really where there's nepotism or there's preferential decisions made based on like your relationship to people. Yeah. It's kind of all who you knew. You have to navigate the politics totally. And I think Poe was very, very against that. And so when he was continually seeing people succeed and find success because they knew someone like this one person i think his book was recommended in a major magazine because he knew the owner of the magazine and poe was like well this piece of work is actually a piece of shit 
it should not be reviewed as <laughs> he's like I feel like you just channeled Poe the way you said that. It was so believable. This is actually a piece of shit. <laughs> but like, yeah, that's how he felt. And I mean, I get that. Yeah. Like working in the entertainment industry, there are times where I like I see movies that get made and I'm like, the fuck? Yeah, how? Anyway, so basically, I don't know how it ends up working. Poe somehow just decides to leave Graham's magazine and when he leaves, guess who takes this job? Rufus Griswold. And guess what? Rufus gets paid way more than Poe was ever paid. Why? Just because he was less hated? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know necessarily why. Maybe Griswold was just better at negotiating. Anyway, this rivalry just continues. And the two continue to find ways to slight one another. So in one example, Griswold paid Poe to review one of his own pieces of work. So Griswold wrote something and paid Poe to review it. And Poe thought that was distasteful and thought that Griswold was trying to bribe him. So he wrote the review and it was a positive review, but Griswold said it wasn't a good enough review. So he was mad. Okay, well then I'm kind of on Poe's side here too, because it's like, you're trying to use me and my reputation and my writing to try to up your own career right now. But you're- right. You have power over me. So, like, how is that an authentic review at all if you're editing it and insisting on what should and shouldn't be included? Or, like, what what's appropriate or not? Like, that's yeah. not a review. That's that's a sponsored post. It's PR, though. That's what public relations are. You just get the right people to say the right things about your work to find success. But yeah. it's truly, this is what I'm saying. It's so petty between these two men. There was like a time where Griswold could not ignore how talented Poe was. So he was dragging his feet to include his work and tried to like put it in the collection of work in a place where like less people would read it. Like it's so petty. It got to a point where Poe, he needed money and he even turned to his enemy. He turned to Griswold. Like that's how badly Poe needed money. He turned to Griswold, asked for money. I think he asked for $50 and Griswold gave him 25, which was like a slight to Poe. And then he criticized Poe's editorial skills, which to be fair, if Poe is spending money really terribly, he's not a great editor. So the rivalry continues. Poe at one point writes a satire called Poets and Poetry of America, and it's very clearly ridiculing Griswold. And he's putting so much effort. These two, like these men are just putting so much effort into their petty offenses. Right. And it just like continues back and forth. But Poe also continues to put a lot of effort into his incredible works of literature, his poems, and his tales. He also, at this time, becomes so infatuated with ciphers. And when he was working at Graham's Magazine, he did this whole series, and he basically offered readers a challenge. He told that any reader could send him a cipher, a cryptogram of any kind, and if he could not crack it, they would be given a free subscription to the magazine. That's a fun marketing tactic. I think that's great. It's great. Apparently, the Zodiac Killer was like very influenced by Poe's work in the ciphers. Do you just spit your water out? No, but, but I'm like starting to cry. I'm laughing so hard. You were shocked by the crossover of Edgar Allan Poe and Charles Dickens, but were you expecting the crossover of Edgar Allan Poe and the Zodiac Killer? Probably not. No, I feel like... I. This episode, I'm not safe saying I like anything because I don't know how it's going to relate back. I know. It's shocking. Oh, my God. 
Poe quoted him, like, this is a quote from the uh, challenge, and he posted it. He said, nothing intelligible can be written, which with time I cannot decipher. He's basically saying, I'm so fucking smart. Try me. Yeah. Like, if I don't get this, it's because you screwed up. (laughs) You're dumb. Yeah. This is wrong. Apparently, Poe liked to tell people how Edgar Poe was actually an anagram for God peer, the peer of God, basically. Oh, my God. That just tells you what kind of person he was. Yeah. Okay. If you're listening and didn't watch on YouTube, I think I just strained my eyeball, (laughs) rolling my eyes so hard at that. Yeah. But after this challenge was published, hundreds and hundreds of people sent cryptograms and ciphers into Poe, and he solved every single one of them within six months. Not a single submission went unsolved. And to conclude the contest, Poe decided to test the readers even further. And he published two ciphers. He published under the name Mr. W.B. Tyler, and everyone believes that it was an alias, and he actually created these ciphers. Get this. They were not solved for over 100 years. (laughs) Stop. Wait. Okay, Edgar Allan Poe, for sure an asshole. For sure, a narcissist, but also I'm kind of I'm kind of amazed. He's a genius <laughs> by him at the same time. Yeah. So who, who solved it? Was it one individual, or was it like a historical or like literary society that had worked yeah. on it for years? So there's a bunch of basically in like the 90s, people were doing a ton of research into Poe and the ciphers, and there was like some group who put out a reward for anyone who could solve them. The first was solved in 1992, and then the second was not solved until November of 2000. 160 years later, basically. Wow. What did they even say? What was his message? So at the end of this episode, I'm going to leave you with one. Oh, we have to solve it? Well, okay. So there's a lot of... Basically, the second one was not solved until like they needed to use a computer program. So it was almost impossible to solve as a human. So his brain is basically coding before coding even existed. But then apparently people are like, there's typos in it. Like, did he mean to do that? Does it have a different message? Did we actually break it? If like, because they solved it by fixing errors, if that makes sense. Which makes me think that that's wrong. I don't know. Do you really think someone like Edgar Allan Poe would have that many typos? Well, he may have written it. And then when you look at it, you're like, oh, this is really freaking confusing. So he may have written it. And then an editor, someone else who typed, had to type it, meaning for printing. So there could have been, there's room for error there. Going back to the Zodiac, it is so similar to the Zodiac because there were a lot of typos in that letter, which is why it was hard to decipher as well. Yeah. Anyway, it has also opened up this dialogue of whether or not Poe's works actually have secret and hidden messages within them. I don't know if we'll ever know the answer to that. But we do know that Poe struggled to make a name for himself. And even when he earned respect as a gifted writer and poet, his earnings were so meager and barely enough to live comfortably. The most he ever received for his work was a $100 payment. And that was for The Gold Bug, which was published in 1843. How much did that exist in today's money? Was that like being paid 3000 bucks or something? Do you want to do that real quick? Yeah. It is equivalent to $4,157. Okay. So it's a lot. 
I guess, for that time. But yeah, he was trying to fund a life for his wife slash cousin. Poe did not follow our rules. Don't fuck your cousin. And leave children alone. Yes. Anyway, he also has a gambling problem and drinking problem. So he was not always the smartest when it came to negotiating deals for his work. Like for this, I'm pretty sure he took a one-time payment and didn't get any residuals. It's impossible to know how many pieces of work Poe wrote in total, but we know he wrote more than a thousand essays and reviews while working at magazines. He has more than 70 published poems and nearly 70 stories slash tales. He is remembered for the gothic horror and the murder mystery, but he wrote on many topics. Mm -hmm. There's a piece called Eureka, which is hailed as a masterpiece and a transcendental explanation of the universe. Like he was exploring topics beyond horror. He wrote satire. He examined topics of life and death in the universe. He was a brilliant man with the desire to understand the world. And if you remember his mom, when he was a young kid performing, dying, and coming back to life, a lot of his pieces have to do with reanimation of people dying and coming back Mm -hmm. to life. See, it did screw him up. Yes. It had a very strong effect on him, clearly. Yes. And his work was greatly inspired by his life and the world he was living in. So kind of to wrap up part one, I wanted to talk about some of his pieces and what connection they had to his life. Many of his writings also deal with people being buried alive, which is interesting. I think five of his stories deal with people being buried alive, which to me makes me wonder if he was afraid of being buried alive or yeah, what was the connection there. That's what I w- would have assumed because so many people died, it feels like probably in his mind so suddenly around him. Yeah, that's true. But it probably was a nightmare where it's like he wakes up and now he's the one that's dead. Yeah. And he's in the ground. Mm-hmm. But he's alive. Telltale Heart is like the woman being buried and like her heart beating and he hears the heartbeat happening as the detective is talking to him. Yeah. In 1835, Poe wrote Bernice. It was his very first horror story, and it told the story of a man who was so obsessed with his late wife's teeth that he digs up her grave and, like, is pulling her teeth out, but he's so he's so fixated on getting the teeth that he doesn't realize his wife is screaming and that she actually was buried alive and is still alive. Ow! What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is dark disturbed that is dark that it's so disturbing but i also love him for coming up with that i feel like i haven't seen anything that has disturbed me like that in a while i know it actually reminds me a lot of franz kafka like these really disturbed characters in almost like psychological madness and Mm -hmm. manic states yeah People believe that this was based on a true story that was in the news, written in papers around the same time, where there were grave robbers stealing bodies or stealing teeth from corpses to make dentures. In 1842, Poe wrote The Mystery of Marie Roget, and one of Poe's most infamous characters is Auguste Dupin, which I think is a character in Fall of House of Usher. I think the detective's name is Dupin. Yeah. I think you're right, because Dupin sounds really familiar. familiar. It must be. But in this book, so this is the second series. So he has three books about the same detective, and this is the second one in that series. But in this book, Edgar Allan Poe sought to solve a real-life murder. 
I'll tell you the whole story, but basically he uses a real life case, but just changed the location, kept all of the details the same. And almost basically all the names are the same. And he claimed he could solve this murder. So this is the murder of the beautiful cigar girl. Her name is Mary Cecilia Rogers. It is an infamous cold case that to this day, there is no answer to who killed this woman. Poe actually became infatuated with this story many years before her murder because back in 1838, he read a newspaper article in the New York Sun about a woman who had gone missing. In the article, he read about this girl named Mary Cecilia Rogers, who was born in Connecticut around 1821, whose father had died when she was very young, and she lived with her widowed mother in New York City. Her mother opened a boarding house, and then as Mary grew up, she took a job as a clerk at a tobacco shop, and there are like so many, it became like a really big cigar shop, tobacco shop, but people were like, the cigars are great, but the beautiful Mary cigar girl is like the reason everyone keeps coming back. She was a sensation. Oh, okay. And like a celebrity in New York. So it is understandable why in 1838, her mother reports her missing and the New York Sun picks up this article and she's like, front news. Right. And it would be hard to come up with a list of suspects if everyone is obsessed with her. Yes. So in 1838, Phoebe, Mary's mother, finds a suicide note written by Mary stating that she had, and this is in quotes, a fixed and unalterable determination to destroy herself. So she reports her daughter missing and believes that she is going to die, and it's reported by the news. Mary was missing. Everyone was fearing the worst. But guess what? The next day, Poe picks up the newspaper and reads an article. It was all a hoax. It was a big hoax, all to garner attention for the cigar shop she was working at. It was a publicity stunt. Stop. That's so fucked up. But then the story becomes even more mysterious when in July of 1841, and during this time, so when he reads this article, Poe is now living with his wife, his mother-in-law in Philadelphia, and reads an article that once again... Mary Cecilia Rogers, the beautiful cigar girl, is once again missing. And he's like, is this another hoax? But then July 28th of 1841, two New Yorkers are walking in Hoboken and spot a body wash up along the Hudson River. It was the body of Mary Cecilia Rogers. She was murdered. And when the autopsy was reported, she had been sexually abused and strangled to death. There was so much violence. There was this like laced wire around her neck. And the report from the coroner said that at least like multiple assailants had attacked her. That's so sad. It makes me wonder if that original publicity stunt, that original article is what inspired this crime. And then if it were reported on, what are the chances anyone's actually going to take it seriously or they're going to think it's another hoax? It was kind of like the perfect opportunity. Yes. Which is horrible to say because someone was brutally attacked and lost their life because of it. But I do see where other people would find the opportunity and that horror. Yes. I mean, it's still unsolved to this day and we could truly probably do like There's probably many true crime podcasts out there that have done the story of Mary Cecilia Rogers. It's a pretty infamous Mm -hmm. case. It kind of changed the like police 
detective crime scene investigative work because this case was so grossly mishandled by investigators. There's a lot of reports that like the coroner reports were wrong. It's so complicated. I don't want to get too much into it because I'm not going to be able to articulate it correctly. But basically, it was very mishandled. It is still to this day unsolved. But Edgar Allan Poe, who's so fascinated by the story and who believes that he could solve any mystery, he believed he could solve the case. So he writes this story and it turns into a great murder mystery detective novel. But unfortunately, the way that he was writing it, the editor of the magazine he was working for at the time was like, let's release it in series. So like a part one, part mm-hmm. two, part three. And <laughs> apparently whoever edited it like just did a terrible job of keeping he they were like part one was ended in the middle of a sentence. Part two was like ended in the middle of a thought. Like whoever edited it did not edit it properly. And also in the beginning, Poe like writes that this is based off of the true murder mystery of Mary Cecilia Rogers, and that by the end of this series, the murderer will be revealed and this murder will be solved. Like he's that confident about it. Wow. But after part two is released, something wild happens. One of the women who was like a crucial witness to the crime Mm -hmm. is shot by her son accidentally when he's cleaning out his gun. And she is in the hospital for 10 days, dying, but having these wild ramblings about how she's being visited by the ghost of Mary and how she has to confess the truth. She's going on and on in these like delusional, half-dead states, saying the spirit of Mary has visited her and that she needs to tell the truth that her sons were operating an underground abortion clinic under her bar and Mary was killed by her sons during an abortion that was illegal and done in secret, which basically everyone is like, oh, the case is solved. And these two sons are arrested, but then their lawyers are like, you're basing this off of a dying woman who has done nothing but help solve this or like try to help solve the case. And if she was running this illegal abortion clinic underneath her bar. Like she never would have come forward because that would have put her at risk. All of a sudden, there's zero evidence. The evidence on the body. I don't know. I feel like it is really suspicious that her son was cleaning out the gun and shot her. And then her on the brink of death is probably trying to come clean and clear her conscience. But in life and the like being really helpful and overly involved sometimes in cases, like, of course, I'll help you. Maybe she was trying to misdirect. Not to be suspicious of her, but I feel like it's it could easily be one or the other. Well, Corinne, this is why everyone, when they hear this, is like, oh, great, the case is solved. Yeah. But keep in mind, Mary's body was absolutely horrifically attacked, which was not evidence of an abortion. She was strangled to death. Like this woman, it was clear that she was attacked rather than going somewhere for an operation. Anyway, it's poor timing because part three of Poe's story was supposed to reveal the killer. And he had been very, very confident from the get-go that this was the real case and that he was solving it. Yeah, this was the big reveal. This is it. It's solved. So basically, these two men are arrested. There's not enough evidence. They're not held. 
technically no one's ever been held accountable for this murder, but a lot of people were like, oh, maybe it was an abortion. And then it just like changed the whole narrative. It's a very messy case, but Poe technically didn't solve it, but it's very possible he did. And it's now taken to his grave because in order to continue and still release part three of his book, he he scrambled. He basically, like, in his first detective novel with Dupin, the detective, he has this massive unveiling of the bad guy and a confrontation, and that was the detective story, which was the plan for this novel as well. He was hoping to solve a murder mystery in real life and in his novel, but because of all the stuff that was happening in the real world, he basically rewrites it that the detective confronts the murderer off screen basically it's like he entrusts the readers to think that it was solved off the page and then it's like the name of the murderer is and then there's a note from the editor that has blurred out the name of the killer and the note from the editor says due to the closeness of this case in reality we have as the magazine decided to remove the name and hide it because no one has been convicted of this murder. So they went back on their promise because Poe's accusation could be so close to someone who's in real life, potentially a suspect, but has not actually been arrested. I wonder who Poe named. So there's some theories that he named someone who actually was involved the first time that Mary went missing, because apparently there's like some legend that she snuck off with some Navy officer who lived in Hoboken. And anyway, Mm. it's very possible that Poe actually did solve the murder, but the editor blurted out. Or because Poe did not want to be ridiculed for getting it wrong when the public is thinking it's these two sons, that he himself actually was the editor that blurted out. Yeah, that's possible. Because it's also weird for it to be someone from the first story, unless they were like truly airing out real parts of Mary's life, because the first story was fake. It was PR. So it's like, was Mary sitting there with her family being like, yeah, talk about my dating life and that one guy and we'll say this and that. Like, maybe, but it also seems... Part of me just assumed half of that was fictional. Yeah, I don't know. And I don't think we'll ever know. And to this day, that case is unsolved. But perhaps the most heartbreaking and close-to-home tales that Poe ever wrote is The Mask of the Red Death. Poe wrote it in 1842. It is a horror story about a plague known as the Red Death that sweeps the land and causes the peasantry to bleed from their pores and suffer agonizing deaths. If you've watched The Fall of the House of Usher, episode two is pretty much this entire story. It is believed and also makes a lot of sense, knowing Poe's history, that this story was pulled from his own life. Poe himself lived through the cholera epidemic of 1832, but beyond that, if you remember, his mother died of tuberculosis. His second mother, Frances Allen, died of a plague And in 1842, the same year that he writes this tale, his one true love, his wife Virginia, began coughing up blood and was diagnosed with tuberculosis. He was once again struck with tragedy and his wife Virginia succumbed to her tuberculosis and died in 1847. This is very, very Mm. sad. Apparently at this time, the family was so poor 
that they could not afford a blanket, and they put the cat on Virginia to keep her warm. Virginia died of tuberculosis while hugging the cat for warmth. Oh my god. This is so sad. After the death of the love of his life, Poe fell into an even deeper depression, took to drinking even more heavily, and it was not too long after this that Edgar Allan Poe became plagued by messages and the foreboding thoughts that he was going to die. This, perhaps, is the greatest mystery of Edgar Allan Poe, his death, which we will discuss in part two. As we await part two, which I'm going to cover the mystery of Edgar Allan Poe's death and then the hauntings of the ghost of a man so haunted, I'm going to leave you all with the cipher. Can you solve this cryptogram created by the infamous man himself? The thing is, you can solve it because the answer is online, but... But then that's not solving it. That's cheating. Yes. That's just looking at the answer. Can we solve it? Look at what it looks like it is okay absolutely is this gonna look like webdings or something uh, yes gibberish we'll have the image here in the video if you're watching on youtube and we'll post it on oh, social oh my god so basically it's symbols and then underneath each symbol is a letter and like all of these words and you basically have to figure out i mean it's a cipher so like every letter actually correlate and every symbol actually correlates with a real letter there ain't no way i would have gotten this no. in a hundred years and a thousand years right nope no way i mean it took wow a computer to solve it yeah that's uh interesting poe there's also another one well i'll give two because there's there's two of them and the second one i think is easier to solve this was okay. a cryptogram left by poe and it was solved in 1975 so it still took a really long time to solve but it was printed in February 26th of 1840 in an issue of Alexander's Weekly Messenger. And Poe declared it was an imposition, but turned out to be a veneer cipher with the keyword. Well, I can't say the keyword because then we'll be able to figure it out. Actually, I don't think Poe created this one, but he solved this one. But anyway, we'll put this one so you can look at it too. Okay, great. Yeah. Ooh. How interesting. I'm excited for next week, too, because I feel like I do know some of the things about Poe's death, and it is so weird yeah, and fascinating. But learning about his life, I don't know how I feel about him. I yeah. feel poorly about the way that he felt about his own life and the things that he experienced and all of the death and everything. But I also feel conflicted because he was such an asshole. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. A lot of other people have hard lives, too. Like, you can understand why he was such an asshole based on his trauma, but that doesn't forgive it or excuse it. Like, no. Yeah. Right. We've all been through shit that doesn't give us the excuse to be rude or mean or petty to other people. No. It's not like he was like that for 10, 15 years and then ever evolved. It sounds like it sounds like he was kind of consistently like that throughout his life. Yeah. He lived a very sad life and. He was brilliant. Like he was, there's no denying he was so smart. He was a genius. He was talented. And unfortunately, he kind of was plagued by like a lot of dark internal demons that mm -hmm. 
kept him from establishing and having maybe relationships that could have been beautiful and healing. Yeah, and good coping mechanisms. But maybe then we wouldn't have the works that we do now. Hey, it's not us who suffered. It's all those other people who had to encounter him back then. So yeah, I wonder if they think it's worth it. (laughs) You know, I'm no psychologist, but I feel like there are a lot of um, professionals out there who could probably come up with a list of uh, diagnoses from the DSM for Edgar Allan Poe based on this episode. Uh, Easily. Easily. Trying not to. I mean, I'm I never practiced in psych. I have my master's. And even I was trying, I was like stopping myself from giving a few diagnoses along the way because I'm not, I'm not licensed. Right. Okay. This is called, I have an email from a listener (laughs) first. I should say that this is called watering hole from another reality. Hello ladies. My cousin told me an amazing story that I could not wait to share with you both. Her and her husband went to the Edgar Allan Poe festival near Philly a couple years ago. While there, they stumbled upon a cute little tavern and decided to stop in for a drink. As they sat at the bar, she noticed an old, dusty bottle on the bottom shelf facing backwards. She said she knew instantly by the look of the bottle that it was Schinkenhager, a German gin that her grandparents used to drink way back when. So she asked she asked the bartender if she could see the bottle, and sure enough, it was. She was so excited that she ordered two shots for her and her husband. The bartender didn't know what this was or how much to charge, so he called over the owner. And the owner didn't know what to charge. My cousin said, one (laughs) dollar. And the owner said, okay, sure, good enough. And then other people sitting at the bar asked what it was. And so she ordered a shot for everyone sitting at the bar. They left the tavern having this wonderful experience that reminded her of our grandparents and thinking that they had just found a new great place to visit when they were in town. Three weeks later, they found themselves back in the area and they went to go stop at the same tavern. So when they got there, it was gone. (gasps) And not just the building was closed or demolished. The space the tavern had previously stood three weeks earlier was nothing but a patch of overgrown grass. Stop. No foundation, no dirt mounds, just grass like nothing had ever been there or not been there for years. She truly believes that they had stopped into some sort of alternate reality or time lapse of some sort where the tavern actually did exist. But listening to her tell this story gave me chills of excitement. Keep up the great work. Have fun celebrating the best month of the year, which was October. And this is from Kira. (laughs) What the heck? That is so cool. I know. And I like it was when they were in town for the Edgar Allan Poe Festival, like as if something spooky like, it's the perfect place for something like that to happen. It seems like a Poe novel. Well, he also lived in Philadelphia for a really long time. So I like to think that, like, he used to visit this. I mean, he drank a lot, so it's very possible he drank there. And then yeah. it does sound like a Poe story. Like It does. Where your reality is changed. Maybe this is him still fucking with people <laughs> <laughs> from the afterlife, though. Well, his ghost has been seen quite a lot and we will get into that into part two but oh that's so cool how cool to like i know travel through time it makes me wonder how many other people were either in this alternate universe or also traveling through time like were they all together experiencing this and a couple other people right down the road would be like wait what happened to that tavern and also have the same sort of story 
Or were these two people the only ones who were out of place that shouldn't have been there? It's confusing because even the bartender was like, what is this drink? Like it was yeah. almost like they knew that they were supposed to be there. The tavern was there, but the drink was out of place. But the like it was all everyone wasn't perfectly settled on anything. Right. Like what part of it was real? Is any part of it real? Yeah. And like who were these other people? Because they do seem like they were people of our day and age. But yeah. Were they all like a hallucination? Were they all part of the act? Poe? <laughs> this is the mystery. <laughs> Poe acting out, creating versions of every single person in his <laughs> stories to just like exist at this one pub. Maybe. And he just chooses people every year during his festival to mess with. I don't know. Maybe. That email was from 2018. So <gasps> That's such a good one. Yeah. I now want to go explore Philadelphia and find this hidden bar like what if they were the chosen ones they found the bar because they were meant to experience something there like it's it's almost like the room of requirement where the bar appears to people when they need something specific yeah well and also the fact that the bottle that their grandparents used to or her grandparents used to drink was basically like the star of the show that night it's also like was this somehow a message from the grandparents right. like, I, gosh i don't know me neither i love this though i love a time slip that doesn't feel it doesn't feel like it is one when it's happening like it's not scary until after the yeah. fact when you are super confused and you're like wait what happened right because we never would have gotten this email had they not gone back it could have just been this really cool story right that they thought always existed but it literally weeks later was gone just grass three weeks later no evidence of a building, nothing, no foundation. I bet this happens way more than we think, but because people don't go back looking for that place, they never know. They never know. It's a simulation, you guys. Which also, so I pulled this story, not only because it was the Edgar Allan Poe Festival, but the fall of the House of Usher. Have you finished it, Sabrina? Mm-mm. Okay. There's a space in question that is a bar, tavern, establishment type thing that throughout the season you get basically like a a through line of like it was this a real place or was this not it's from the like past timeline right with the siblings the usher siblings brother and sister yeah yeah yes so it, it was just like that i read very briefly and i again like there's so much about poe that this could everyone just go listen to the book that i read or re- read it themselves but the fall of the House of Usher apparently was based on twins whose name's last name was Usher, who I think they're like parents died or something like that, and they descended into madness. And so like Poe basically mm-hmm. stole their last name and used that as the conceit of his story. Dang. Dang. I'd growl and Poe, baby. The end part two. Nothing more <laughs> seasonal than <laughs> the dark stories around yeah. the holidays. Yeah. And I hope people learn stuff about Poe because he is an interesting human. I did. And I feel like most people know his For stories sure. but don't know about him and who he was. Yeah, totally. Well, we'll gather back next week yes, to we learn will. more about Poe and some of the hauntings. But until then, if you guys have stories of your own or if you collect some over the holidays from other people, please email them to us at twogirlsonegoespodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. You can also support us in a variety of ways. You can rate and review on iTunes. You can tell other people. If everyone this holiday season goes and tells 
one or two people about our podcast and is like, you have to listen to this, it'll be extremely effective and you will also be promoted in our pyramid scheme triangle. Join our Patreon to get our holiday card and to get episodes one week early and bonus content next year. We love you all. Thank you so much to our editor and producer, Jamie, and our entire team for helping make this show possible and our business run smoothie. We love you all. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you you on the other side. Very smooth.